Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Good morning. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and I welcome you to your Partner in Success Radio. Now, today I get to welcome back to the show Jill Coomer, who's been here before. It's way too long ago, I have to say that. So I'm glad to see her back here again. Now, Jill is a successful serial entrepreneur and is the former owner and president of Black Tie Pittsburgh, an event support company for nonprofit organizations that provided a soup-to-nuts turnkey approach to event planning and execution. With her years of experience in event planning and expertise, Jill is a sought-after consultant for companies and organizations that seek to make their events more productive, efficient, and really probably more importantly than anything else, profitable. I mean, why would you have a nonprofit that wasn't profitable, or an event, rather, that wasn't profitable? Now, Jill is also the author of The Event Technique, and we're going to talk about that. So the name of the book is The Event Technique, The Business Side of Nonprofit Events. And she joins us here today to share tried and true tips and strategies that can help those who are running events, big, small, do what those events are intended to do, raise funds. Jill, good morning. Welcome back to your Partner in Success Radio. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's been too long since you were last. I don't even know. I think it's been three or four years. Oh, heavens, yes. Yeah, it's lots been a while. of things have happened since then. It's been a while. We're not getting any older, but, yeah, you know, it's been a while. <laughs> no, we are vintage. <laughs> we are vintage brilliant as well. We oh, are. there you go. Yeah. So, listen, I've got your book, and thank you for I, – I love the book, and you know, just so people know, you know, I've – have this cat that shows up on on Facebook. His hashtag is Hamilton is an ass, and you wrote him a note on the envelope. I did. I did. Yeah. I think those are just a riot. They're really, really funny. I'm just the narrator. I don't make these things up. They really are that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's get talking about you. So what has changed? I mean, it's been, like I said, a very long time. So what has changed and where have you moved in terms of business since the last time we spoke? Well, um, it's been an, an interesting ride. Um, I decided at the end of 2016 to close Black Tie Pittsburgh. Um, we were an industry leader when we first started in 2004. We were one of the few, in fact, the only company in Pennsylvania outside of the really enormous Ticketmaster and such that were doing online events, and we were the only ones that were specializing in online events for nonprofits. So that was really cool. It was interesting. We did that for a dozen years, loved it, and then kind of said, you know what, I think, I think we're good, and we're going to look at something else. So I closed it in 2016, took 2017 off, and just sort of regrouped and figure out where I wanted to go. And uh, in 2018, Started working on the book, started working on you know, the website and the event listing website, um, which is the sister company to the event technique called Eventsburg. So between those two, 2018 was an awful lot of planning and organization and sort of that time you take to create a vision of where you want to end up. Um, and then 2019, we really started getting going. The book got published. The other site is up. Things are, are you know, beginning to really roll. So it's been a, a wild few years, but it's really been uh, interesting. Learned a lot. Um, focused quite a bit more on the business elements of things, um, which is pretty lacking. Which is actually why I wrote the book. So you know, in a nutshell, that's kind of what I've been doing the last few years. And when I read the book, I realized that's exactly what you were doing. And I've been involved with with nonprofits you know, as a volunteer or a committee chair. You know, I've, I've done a lot of work with them. And I have to say, I agree with you. The business part of it, the business component, is almost not there. You know, Pretty much. when you're dealing with with a, and particularly when you're dealing with it's an all volunteer force, you kind of take what you can get. So you're you're really kind of yes. wrangling cats to get somebody to do something, aren't you? You really are, and it's very um, from the perspective of um, 
people that are on your board and such who have business experience, it's very frustrating for them. So they tend to be um, sort of put on the sidelines necessarily because people want to talk about the event itself. It's exciting, it's fun, and we're going to do all this cool stuff. And the truth of it is the run-up to it is really where the work needs to be done. By the time they get to the event, the day of, it's it's over. They just have to execute that two or three hours, and, and you know then the event is over. But the run-up to it is really where the issues happen. And the stories that have come out of uh, uh, nonprofits that haven't done proper planning and you know, checking on their sponsors and training and all those sorts of things, it's very, very sad when the event doesn't produce what they expected it to produce because they didn't have it together going into it. So that's pretty much how the book came about, really. It was and frustration I've, I've in dealing that. with that. Yeah, and I love the book because, like I say, I've, been, I've had a bird's eye view, and there came a point where I just said, I can't do this anymore. It's just too frustrating. And, frankly, I hate meetings. Hate them. Yeah, there's <laughs> just <laughs> You do not want me in a meeting because if you start clicking your pen, I will take the pen and leave with it. I can't Oh, no. <laughs> oh, geez. But, you know, it's it's so frustrating because you're right. I mean, the, the level of excitement is high and people, you know, they have these terrific ideas or maybe not so terrific ideas, but they're excited and they're excitable. But getting right. them to all work together to their own strengths, first of all, I think you have to find out what their strengths are and then put them where they need to be, whether they, you know, no, 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 I want to, you know, I want to handle the punch bowl. But, you know, it's, I think that's a lot of what goes wrong. So I, w- I can't wait to hear what you've got to say about some of these, you know, tips and advice because it can be messy and it can be that, terrible. It, yes, it does. It is messy sometimes. Yeah. Um, in fact, that really is the first chapter of the book which is talking about evaluating. Why are we doing the event? What is the end goal? And, of course, obviously everyone says it's always money. Well, that's fine, but what about the ramifications after that? Do you not call anybody and they don't, you don't talk to them for another year until you need money? you know, Or you don't contact the sponsor for another year until you have another event coming up where you need them? So all these things that you would use in a traditional business, if you will, um, need to be applied to the nonprofit because the 501c3 is a tax designation. It doesn't mean that you can't make money. And so it's business I just people. lost you. You just broke up. Can you say that again? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, I heard 501c3 and then it just oh, kind of okay. disappeared. Right. The 501c3 is a tax designation, but it doesn't mean that you can't make money. So if you approach that, uh, the nonprofit, as a business, you're far more successful. And um, the interesting component opposite of that, of course, is that you're going to reduce the amount of stress in going forward. So the planning, the evaluation, the organization, I tell a number of clients that I work with, put yourself in your office and close the door. Turn off the phone and work through your entire year. Take an hour, two hours, however long you need to work through your entire year and lay it all out because ultimately if you're the event planner or the development director, you're responsible for it and you need to keep your team, your folks on the right page and focused. And if they can see this is how things are going to work all year long and you stick to that plan, you're golden because you've already taken the time to think about it instead of trying to figure it out on the fly. You know, right. the time to organize yourself is not 10 minutes before the doors open. It needs to be 10 months before the doors open. So huge you know, difference in philosophy. Exactly. And for some reason I just thought of garage sales because I have a, a client who is having a massive garage sale. And one of the things he said to me that made me kind of, you know, snorkel a bit, you know, we call it a snorkel. It's like it, you don't know if you're snorting coffee on your keyboard or you're laughing or you know, whatever <laughs> It's a Krishnuffle, Krishnorkel. But he said, look, I can't even talk to my wife. I haven't even been able to talk to her about much for the last three months. She's so fixated on this. And he's a very well-known person, so I can see why he's concerned about people coming to his home. But he said yeah. she's she's almost a lunatic about this. And for some reason that popped into my head because I have seen this happen 
with nonprofits, you know, when they're having these events where one or two people are very, very focused and everybody else is running around going, but what do I do next? What happens? It's yes. it's almost like there's no flow. There's no, from the top, There there's nobody really directing traffic. That And actually that's very true, and it falls to the development director um, in a lot of cases or an event coordinator, and they may or may not have any business experience. And that's where they get into trouble. Um, the planning part, actually sitting quietly by yourself and working, you know, mentally working through everything that's going to happen. When do you need to get your sponsors? When do you need this done? When do you need that done? And even if you do it in a simple form, like on an Excel spreadsheet or smart sheet or whatever, um, to keep track of that, you can take it to your team and say, here's what we need to do. Here's going, who's going to do it. Here's the date that it's due, progress, all that kind of stuff. People will relax much more if you give them a plan and then hold them accountable. This is what we're well, going to do. Have to, Here's who's going right, to do You it. have to have an organiza- organizational chart, which leads me back yes. to that, you know, that big event that he's got going on. He feels like he doesn't have an organizational chart. He wants to know where he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to do. And to date, he doesn't know, and it's pretty frustrating. <laughs> and oh, and for Lord. some reason, that just struck me as, you know, kind of being the same as what I see happen in some of these nonprofits. You've got a lot yes. of people who are willing to help, wandering around going, what do I do? Where do you we need don't know what to do. What's, yeah. what's going on? You know, just clue me in here. And, of course, as the event gets closer and everyone gets more uptight and more focused and more nervous, that's when things really need to be on point and targeted, and generally that's when things fall apart. You know, it's it's, oh, it's yeah. really a kind of a dichotomy to keep everybody on track. But if you, as the event person in charge, um, the development director, whatever, whoever is in charge of that particular event, has got it laid out in advance, and the minute they get off the rails, you can come back in and say, folks, look, here's where we are. This is what needs to happen. It's right here on this sheet. Don't worry about anything else other than your job and get it done. And they're much better that way. You know, the organization is happier. And, you know, the other thing that happens with a nonprofit then, when the event is midway through, everybody relaxes. And it's, it's, then there's even more opportunity for things to, to go wrong because now they've had, you know, a couple glasses of wine and everybody's happy. And, you know, so it's a whole litany of things that can happen which none of which are intentional. No one expects it to go, you know, south, but occasionally it does. It's just, you know, uh, amazing. But for me to work with them and not have them be organized made me crazy. Um, coming out, well, I'm crazy you know, just listening to this. I mean, I'm just <laughs> itching because I mean, and you said something at the top of the show. You know, you've got board members who are probably business leaders, business people. Yes. I can't even imagine how bad they itch. I mean, that yeah, has got to yeah, be crazy. Yeah, they do. And, 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 you know, when you talk about board attrition and, and, you know, people just kind of backing out or disappearing off the board because they feel they're either not being heard or they are being heard and they're being sort of pushed to the side. It's like, well, you know, we know events, you know business, and we know events. Well, they're one and the same. You know, the end goal is increasing revenue. So it is a business. And the what yeah. can be gleaned from working you know, corporate people and such um, on a board is enormous, and that's usually an untapped resource in a lot of cases, which is really a shame. It really you know, is. So that was one you of know, the things that we talked about. Yeah, and uh, listen, while while we're talking about the event planning, because that's what we're talking about, let's let's go over the inc- the acronym E V E N T because those mean something. So let's start there, and then kind of work our way through the different processes that you want to share with people. That was basically as I was sitting, um, I can't even remember where I was, but I was thinking about it, and I decided that would be the easiest way to break this down. Um, So the acronym of the word event, and the first section we started, I talked earlier, was the evaluation section. Why are we going to do this event? What's the end goal? Of course, the end goal is always to raise money, but at the same time, there's other things that need to happen with that. So... Evaluate covers everything from do we have the right people in the right positions to do this? Because if you don't, it's very hard to execute. 
Um, the V in event stands for venue and value. And people in a lot of cases will decide whether or not they're going to attend an event when they find out where it is. It might be an elite club. It might be some place that ordinary folks can't get into that you need to be a member of, for example, or um, a museum after dark or a back-of-the-house thing or whatever. Something really unique um, in terms of a venue is going to attract people. So that's hugely important. So that chapter talks about venue and value. Is there will the the guest, the donor, come away saying that was awesome, it was worth every penny, you know, sort of thing. It's kind of like when you go into a a restaurant and you're expecting a certain thing and you see a cheeseburger on the menu for $15.95 and you expect a certain thing. When you see the same thing on another restaurant's menu at $21.95, then you're not loving it so much. So you've now reached the point where the value or, or the perceived value is not there for the guest. So that chapter is also really, really important. The third, the second E is the enthusiasm and the effort, and that translates into your volunteers, your board. How much time is this event going to take to you know, execute everything? And that was one that really struck me as, as being intensely important because in a business side, that's personnel. That's your that's your people. That's your salespeople that are out there and, and being the face of the event when people come to the door. And is the chapter that did not connect um, initially with a number of people when I ran it past them. And that is the numbers. And people don't like numbers. They don't want to deal with that. It's just icky. So the numbers part, of course, is absolutely critical because if you don't make your numbers – Programs get cut, people get laid off, same as in a business. If you don't have the sales, the same thing happens. So there's a parallel there between the two. And the last is T, which is time. And in life, uh, daily life, as well as when you're at your job, your time has value. So how much time is it going to take to put into this nonprofit event to make it a success? Because your time has value. If you're not working on this, should you be working on something else sort of thing? So that was the reasoning behind all of it. So, <coughs> excuse me, the chapters are, are a little bit long, but it was the easiest way to put it together in a nutshell so someone could read just a chapter and then go do something else and then come back. So that was the premise behind writing it in that fashion. Okay, so we got EVE, and I think you said it was for numbers. What was T? T is time. Time. Okay, I missed that one. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. I, I was writing a note about numbers because I think what a lot of people, particularly if they're they're volunteers and they're good-hearted people but maybe don't have a business background, they may not be thinking about the actual numbers, and that means the cost of the event. Yes. I mean, yes, you want to be profitable, but you can't be profitable unless you've got your costs in order, right? Right, right. And Sometimes, too, occasionally um, uh, organizations won't necessarily think about the peripheral costs with putting together an event. Do you need security? Um, Event insurance is an absolute necessity, and they may not even think about that until the day What about insurance? Yeah, what about insurance? You know, if you have an event where you're going to pour alcohol, you need to get your insurance before the event. You can't wait till the day of, you know. So, I mean, there's all these different things that – are peripheral to sitting 100 people down for dinner at 6.30 and having the silent auction close at 9. So the real business part of it that's necessary to protect yourself and and the organization um, going forward and doing an event. So that sort of thing is what I really wanted to put in the numbers section without making it too accounting geared and you know that sort of thing but but those issues are intensely important and oftentimes they are not thought of until the very last thing and sometimes not thought of at all you know there's organizations that uh, I have walked away from because they didn't want to spend money to do insurance and you know if you can believe it uh, it was just I was speechless and I finally said you know what I I can't work with you if you are not willing to embrace the technical business side of this and understand what happens if something goes wrong in an event you have to have that insurance and yeah, you know, some were like, no, and permits. I mean, depending on where Absolutely. it is, you might need permits from the city, the county, 
the state, wherever it is that you're putting this event on. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And in going, you know, in dealing with things like um, alcohol and third-party liability and, you know, dram shop laws and things like that, all figure into the costs. And oftentimes it's the last thing that an organization thinks about. And truthfully, it should be the True. first. I would think so. I've seen events where they were outdoors, you know, particularly around Mardi Gras for some reason. And one thing that you would not think of normally is to have an ambulance standing by. Mardi Gras means drunk. And you better yeah. have an ambulance there. <laughs> I mean, who's going to think of that, truly? But, you know, you better have one, I promise you. Oh, my gosh, I didn't even think about that um, in terms of, of Mardi Gras. But that makes a lot of sense. Um, we see them generally when we were working with organizations that had walk runs or dog walks or things like that. They usually did have um, an ambulance that was there or at least a first aid tent or things like that. But, again, that all costs money. They're not going to come out and volunteer their services to sit there waiting for something to happen, but you absolutely need that. you know. So, um, And it all costs – it adds an additional whatever amount to each ticket. Um, oftentimes, if the nonprofit is only using ticket sales to fund the event, then they're really they're really uh, at risk. Um, there's far bigger possibility they'll lose money on that event because they have no other source of funding besides those tickets. So, so what, that's why what in a lot they of cases, do? Yeah, I well, didn't um, realize that a lot of people did just tickets. I mean, I. I guess I just assume because I am a business person, business minded, always looking, you know, for other other ways to make this happen. It would seem that they should have something else, whether it's a silent auction, whether it's a bachelor auction, whatever it's going to be. You know, it, they should it, have it other truly, things yeah, to it, keep people entertained. It truly is remarkable um, when. A lot of organizations will say, "Well, we're going to put the ticket price at this amount," and then they work backwards and figure out, you know, all the other expenses, which, of course, adds stress because they didn't realize the caterer was going to charge a per-person service charge, and they didn't plan on that. So, now, you know, so they walk backwards from setting the price, which is like, wow, okay. Um, that really requires you to, to be organized in how the expenses are going to be handled in the run-up to the event. And then in addition, they think about sponsors – and I've sat through board meetings where they've said, yep, we need to get sponsors, we need to get sponsors. And I go, well, how are you going to do that? Well, we need to go talk to people. Okay, so But what who are, you are you offering them? To? I think they don't understand that sponsors want something from you. If That's they're exactly not, right. You know, they're not exactly just in it right. for the fun and love. They, there has to be that tit for tat. You've got to give them something and they give you something back. Well, here's an interesting story. I was talking with a friend of mine about sponsorships because I'm putting together a package for a group. And this particular organization has an enormous building, and they are building an addition to the building, which is you know four stories, all this kind of stuff. They brought on a sponsor who has a lumber company, has this, you know, he sells things to people to build stuff. So major sponsor, $100,000 donation. This was going to fund a whole series of programs for a year going forward, all new. So the premise was awesome. The board says, let's have a luncheon. We'll invite him in so he can tour the property and he can see all the great work we're doing and such. So as he arrives to the event, keep in mind he owns a lumber company where people build stuff. He's looking at the addition on the building, and it is wrapped in that plastic insulation wrap from a competitor. And Uh-oh. he turned right around, got in his car, he left. In 15 Nobody seconds, thought about that? No one thought about it. 15 uh. seconds, $100,000 goes up in smoke, right? Poof, gone. And not only did they lose it for the year, but they probably lost him forever in that 15 seconds. How could seconds. somebody miss that? I, I'm genuinely puzzled by that. Good question. Good question. Wow. I just did my podcast last week called Absolutely Sweat the Small Stuff because that's a small stuff. You know, it's a tiny little detail that someone should have thought of before they brought him to the facility. And I, 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 yeah, I find it hard to believe when I'm, yeah, when I'm listening to the story and thinking about the repercussions of that one error, which is like it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a big it's deal. It's huge. It really is. 
you know, and, so you know, here's the thing. I think what what the organizers are not realizing that now they've ticked this guy off. They actually insulted him, and they don't understand it. But what about all yes. of the people that he works with? Who you know, he's going to talk about this. He he's sure going to have is. plenty to say about it. So they're, by extension, now offending other people in the building trades. Not good. Yes. Yeah, really not, not a good strategy. And a simple spreadsheet um, would have handled that. They would have known. It's kind of like putting people, you know, your ex-wife sitting next to your new wife at a dining table. You don't do that. You <laughs> separate them. <laughs> like, let's not make any bloodshed happen today. You yeah, have bloodshed yeah, that's generally a good terrible. idea to put them at opposite ends of the room. So, yeah, or another building altogether. <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh. But they were just heartbroken. I'm like, guys, yowza, you know, how could you not know this? But they didn't, you know. So anyway, it's just, and that's not the first time I've heard something like that. But this was on a huge scale, you know. Um, I think a lot of times too, nonprofits will lump donors and sponsors together, and they're two very distinctive things. You know, your donors are folks that are there because they believe in the mission. They, you know, it's animal rescue or whatever it is. They're there because they want to see that. The sponsor's on board because they want to reach the target audience that is following that mission. So in this particular case with that nonprofit, it was a complete disconnect, and people are going to remember that. You know, so um, Unfortunately, being, they will. Yeah. yeah, being on top of where your sponsors are and what's going on in the facility. And, of course, the first thing you hear from nonprofits is, well, we don't have time to do that. Well, make the time. Uh <laughs> Make no. the time. Take 30 minutes. Yeah. Find out who your sponsors are. You know, put together a list of who you want to talk to in terms of mm-hmm. sponsorships, and then find out if there's a collision with things that are already going on in the organization. And exactly. had they done that, they would have known. 30 minutes. Exactly. Of That's they would have known. A spreadsheet would have handled that beautifully. And here's yep. the thing, and I see this in nonprofits, and I haven't worked with one for a while, but. There are some things that still stick with me that make me go, what happened there? (laughs) (laughs) But but one of the things that I noticed was that they're not giving their sponsors or their donors enough love, enough, you know, thank you, and enough, you know, how can we help you? I mean, this is a a reciprocal relationship. It's not once a year. And I think Mm -hmm. that gets lost, you know, in, in the... The event kind of gets lost once it's done, once it's out of the way, then you're back to the daily business of the nonprofit, whatever it is. And you just kind of go, okay, well, we don't need to worry about this until six months down the road. You should be saying thank you. You should be taking them donuts. You should be sending thank you cards. You should be mentioning them anytime you can in your newsletter. I mean, you know what, what has to be done. There's any number of things that you can do to show them your appreciation all year long, especially if you want them to come back the next year. And I think that gets lost. Yeah, that's very true. Um, And what happens, too, is that the nonprofit won't necessarily stay on top of a newsletter or, you know, anything like that until they need money. And then they just, you know, the email box is just overflowing with, you know, invitations to the event and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like they forgot the rest of the year. So people tune that out. You know, and they drop off of of email lists and all sorts of things, and they just don't want anything to do with that anymore. So um, a number of nonprofits that I have coached, um, I've encouraged them strongly to know their donors, find out what some of the background is as to why they are involved in your organization. Um, People will, you know, for someone who's lost somebody to, you know, cancer. I lost my dad to a very rare form of lymphoma, So I got involved with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Association for a stretch because I needed their support. I was looking for something from that nonprofit, which was understanding what was happening and, you know, all those sorts of things and dealing on that journey through that experience. And I still keep in touch with them, but not nearly as much as I did. And there's a number of of organizations that have that sort of, of attraction, so they're constantly looking for new people, um, which is also good, but the the retention of people that sort of drop out is really important. So they have now started to do more outreach to people who were involved with them in the past, which is great. 
I don't want 50 emails in my mailbox every month, but I'd sure like to hear where they're going and you know what's going on. So send me something once a month. Say, hey, we're not looking for anything. We're just trying to bring you up to speed on the you know the research front and what's happening here and what's happening there. That goes a long way. I'm much more inclined as an individual to get involved with that nonprofit when they say, hey, we're having our event. You know, here's the tickets. It'll be fun. All that kind of thing. I'm more inclined to go, hmm, okay. I'll give that a look because they haven't badgered me for money the other nine months of the year. They've kept me in the loop. They've kept me informed. And I feel like there is now much more of a relationship there, if you will. Hugely important. And that's and actually, so important. That's, I'm yeah, glad you said business, that because that's really important. You can't – look, our spidey sense goes off. If I haven't heard from you in a year and all of a sudden you want me to donate something physical or my time or money – and I haven't mm-hmm. heard from you, it's like my spidey sense goes straight up. I'm like, no. Yeah. I no, get kind of cranky not... about things like that. <laughs> that's a good word for it. But they all do it. You know, and it, it's, it's well, not all. That's not right to say. But a fair number, let's put it that way, will do that. And the same with the sponsors. That two-month push ahead of the event, they're all over looking for sponsors, you know, trying to get more money. And when if they've worked on it all year long – and established that relationship and, you know, called the sponsor and said, hey, you know what, we know we don't have an event coming up for a while, but we want you to come out and tour our facility. We would like some of your people to meet some of our people and get them engaged, get them actively aware of what the nonprofit does. The biggest issue with sponsorship um, is, in a lot of cases, is that the, the, the company will buy a table of 10 and then they'll run around the office saying, we got tickets for XYZ Gala who wants to go. And sometimes they won't know until the very last minute, and that's understandable. But for the folks that you know in advance, get them on board. Get them so they understand why they're even going to the event. That goes a long way. I mean, people really just want to be recognized. They want to be appreciated for what they're doing. And if you address that and you know, respect what they do as as well as the fact that they're just people and you like them, you know, you're going to be much better off, much happier. Right. And I I think a lot of people don't really understand that there is very definitely a business component to a nonprofit. There has to be. And what I'm hearing you say is by incorporating these different steps for fundraising into your business model, your business planning, you're going to stay ahead of it all by doing it daily, weekly, monthly, whatever it takes. And I wanted to chat with you a bit about social media, too, because that's a huge component in practically everything we do anymore. I build a lot of websites for for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. I love working with them. And, you know, I will tell them when they come to me and say, we really need a website. And the first thing I'll say was, what about your social media? Oh, we don't have that. Then I won't Mm -hmm. build you a website because what I will build you will be a very pretty website that is nothing more or less than a boat anchor. It's not going to do a darn thing. Yeah. Unless you're actively reaching out to your donors and your sponsors and the people who profit or are a big part of, you know, being in your nonprofit, whether it, let's say it's a, a medical clinic, it's a free medical clinic. Mm-hmm. You really want to make sure all of those people know that there's something going on on Friday at noon at the clinic. So you need to stay if you can't handle a newsletter, which I think is a huge mistake. At least once a month, you you should have something on your list. But social yeah. media, terrific way to reach all of these people. And I'm not well, seeing that it's really being embraced. What are your thoughts? It's interesting um, to watch. In 2004, when we started Black Tie, social media was just getting rolling. Facebook was kind of sort of a thing. Um, and Instagram really wasn't there. Snapchat, I don't think, was invented yet. And TikTok was like, really? You know, TikTok was what a clock did. So I put an extra chapter in the book that talks about social media and how nonprofits should absolutely embrace it, but they need to be careful about how they're embracing it. Um, When there is an event on the horizon, let's back up a little bit. In looking at, let's call them the big four, we have Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. Twitter is, is good, but Twitter also requires really a lot of maintenance. You need to be on top of that a lot 
in order to to have any sort of impact at all because there's so much going through it. Um, you should still be involved with it, but it's, it's to really do it correctly, you have to be on it you know, two, three, four times a day. Um, in looking at Facebook, the largest demographic group of Facebook right now, fastest growing group, is those over 70. You're kidding. 70 years I old. I did not know that. And I that thought is. I knew everything about social media. Oh, no, no, no. I, well, not seriously. Yeah, I found this out maybe two weeks ago in another oh, survey that wow. I was reading. And yeah, that's the largest group, which is pretty cool, but at the same time, it's it's not necessarily going to be the preeminent way to get everything out if your target for your nonprofit is millennials. You know, they won't even really look at Facebook proper. They're on Instagram and even more Instagram. on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's really you kind of need to tailor your message to all these different platforms. Because the the older group is not going to be interested in an event with, you know, we're going to have a walk run where everybody's going to throw paint on each other and, you know, all those types of things. Those are so much fun, but somebody who's 60 years old is not going to be interested in that event. So you have to target, you know, each group depending on where it is you want to go and also be exceedingly careful in how you post, when you post, and who's posting. Um, the number of folks that have should have access to the social media, two, maybe, three maybe. within an organization, yeah. maybe. Three and is that's probably it. dangerous. Two is about yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. And we've gone down and gone back and do a little looking at hashtags and how to utilize those. Um, three, maybe four hashtags that you solidly stick with. They go on everything you do. The name of your organization, the name of the event, and some other tagline that's going to grab people's attention. And three or four is great. You see a lot of folks that will say, well, you know what, we're going to put up 25 different hashtags, and it's going to go everywhere. (laughs) Well, yeah, if everyone else does that, it's going everywhere all right. It's right into the circular file because nobody's looking at any of that. You know, in fact, I find myself, I'll look at the first two or three hashtags that are posted because I'm of the belief that those are the ones that are the important ones as a consumer, and I ignore everything else. I I don't even look at it. So, you know, find those two or three hashtags that are really going to be effective for your organization. Consistently use those. And then go ahead and, and consistently post. Keep in touch with all of your, you know, donors and sponsors that way. Send out things and post. Um, talking about your sponsors, you know, put in links. Oh, yeah. Hey, do you know about XYZ organization? They're one of our supporters. They are awesome. And tag them. You know, tagging tag is them. different from hashtagging. I mean, at this right. point, and, you know, people need to understand when you're tagging <laughs> someone and do it carefully, don't just do it yes. willy nilly. You will tick people off. I get ticked off and on a daily basis when people tag yeah. me and stuff that I don't knit. Don't tag me on a knitting video. <laughs> but, yes. you know, that kind of silly thing. But, what what happens is once you have done it properly, and that's a whole other conversation. But once you've tagged one of your sponsors, you know properly, now you are part of their audience. Their audience is now going, oh, okay. You have brought yourself into their audience, but you have to be very, very careful how you do it. Yes, yes. And P, in this day and age too, people get fatigued with something that's just constantly in their face, whether it's, you know, this organization or that organization or save this or whatever it is, after a while they sort of tune out. And that's something that, that, you know, people don't think about when they're posting a ton of times. You know, after a while you don't want to hear from them every single minute. But no, you don't you want don't. to feel unloved either. You know, exactly. so there's that gentle balance. So you balance. can do something like, you know, every Friday you have a sponsor roundup. Or, you know, you just have sure. you know, one sponsor a week on Fridays and you make it a big deal. I do that with one of my clients now. And it works. Mm-hmm. People, you know, they're waiting for 11 o'clock on Friday to see who she's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing with a sponsor um, is that I've used with organizations is to take – 15, 20 minutes, or maybe do it on the phone with, you know, uh, through Zoom or something like that. Interview 
somebody with that company. Why do you want to sponsor our organization? Tell us what brought you to us kind of thing. Then that sponsor can take that video and send it everywhere and say, here's why we're doing this, folks. This is why we're looking to have you participate. So that when someone goes through the office and says, we have a table at 10 for this party, who wants to go? Everybody's got their hands up going, ooh, ooh, pick me. I want to go. You know, I saw the interview. I saw all about it. So it's immensely important to find out why that sponsor is going to get involved with the organization. You know, and if they don't really have an interest in it, get them to have an interest in it. Right. And then you've got a sponsor that's more than a one-time. Right. And you know what I've noticed, and I know you have too, is that a lot of times people are a lot more articulate with their own thoughts when they're actually speaking it out loud. They'll all of a sudden yes. go, Ooh, I just said that. That was brilliant. I do it to myself. Oh, good girl, Denise. I pat myself on the head. Yeah, write that because down. when you're trying to open that epic Word document, that epic blank page, sometimes that's where it stops. But when you're actually speaking it and you're talking with somebody who's equally excited about it, new mm-hmm. thoughts and ideas just pop up like magic. Exactly. So there's and that. I love that idea. What's even better with that is then you can put that on your social media and say, mm-hmm. you know, here's an interview that we did with one of our fabulous sponsors and you know, right. his perception or her perception of the organization and, you know, all that kind of thing. That has value because now you're engaging the business community and you started that dialogue back and forth with a business Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. To, uh, that's an underwriter, and that is really important because other businesses take note of that. It's sort of like when you put people on your board. The board people want to know who's on the board before they're going to get on the board. You know, True. so is there a connection for them that's going to benefit them if they go on this board? So as much as a nonprofit wants to think it's all about them, and of course from their perspective it is, which is how it should be. From mm-hmm. a sponsor perspective, it's all about them. So you need to to have that balance between the two. And if you can get them to work together throughout the entire year, when you get to an event and you need to approach them for additional funding, they're all over it because they now understand what the organization does. They've seen the value of being involved with your organization because your organization is on top of it. You are savvy in dealing with the business elements, and that will make you a success. That's the bottom line. Right. So I didn't mean to cough on you. And, Jill, while I'm listening to you, I'm really understanding that none of this is rocket science. It's all common sense. Most business yes. people are going to absolutely get this, and people who are not business people, it still makes sense. Like, oh, well, I never thought of yeah. that. That's easy to do. Let's work that in. So there's nothing here that's make, going to make you go, oh, that ain't happening, hon, as we say in the yeah. But it's it's just a perfect mix of working with your sponsors, working with your donors, working with your volunteers, working with your board, everybody. And once you get that working, those working relationships going and you keep them going and you make them part of the business plan, how can you go wrong? I mean, truly, how can you go wrong? That's the goal is to make it all very easy to do. Essentially, um, from the perspective of the nonprofit, you're in customer service. And, you know, you know Good what point. happens when customer service is bad, yeah. you know, and you, I mean, the, the stories out there are legendary of certain companies that are just, oh, my gosh, they're so bad, you know, and uh, people remember that. So from the nonprofit perspective, you're in customer service. You want people to come and enjoy your event, produce a great event, all that sort of stuff, but you have to treat them right. You can't take them for granted. You know, big difference. I, I guess my, my next question or observation, if you will, is how was this not common sense to start with? I mean, how did things just <laughs> go? I, I really want to know. I mean, it took you to put all this together and create this this acronym and, you know, show people how you do this. This is common sense. Why did it take so long for for this to happen? That's a good question. I don't realistically, I'm not sure there's an answer to that. Um, I guess maybe part of it could be attributed to the fact of why a nonprofit springs up. You know, good people, oh, good hearts, yeah. they have a mission, they want to do the right thing, 
And sometimes the, the other parts that really need to be considered are off to the side. It's not really what they're focused on. They're focused on their mission. And who can blame them? That's mm-hmm. why yeah, I understand that's that. there. Right. So, you know, oftentimes there needs to be this, this synergy where you have um, uh, other business people, and it can't just be the CFO. The CFO cannot be the only business person involved with the nonprofit. Um, there needs to be more because otherwise it's the CFO trying to stand up against all these other people who are looking at the mission and not necessarily focusing on the money. Big, exactly. You know, big difference in thinking. Exactly. You know, so. And going back to social media, one of the things I'm, re- I'm on page 108, know your audience. Where are your donors hanging out on social media? I would suspect, and I'm going to ask, yes that your donors, because they are business people, because maybe not donors, maybe sponsors maybe, I'm asking, I would think LinkedIn would be a very good place for that because those that's business to business. Those are business people. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. Um, with the, the issue with LinkedIn um, is, how do I describe this? Um, we do a pretty, It's stuffy. It's of, not fun. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't... Um, from a, from the event side of it, it tends to be, well, they're going to post an event and people are going to move on. And um, LinkedIn, as great as it is for B2B, sometimes not so great for B2C, which is business to consumer. So oh. that's we tend not to focus so much on LinkedIn unless we're looking for, specifically looking for sponsors for an event because it may not necessarily be your pool of people um, who are on that on LinkedIn for business? Mm-hmm. I don't think I explained that actually correctly. They're not looking to party and and no, have I understood a great time it, necessarily <laughs> by being on Try LinkedIn. Again. Yeah, sorry, it's like I have not not enough coffee. Um, you go to the social media sites, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. Those are fun. They're exciting. People are doing cool stuff. LinkedIn is that's that's business. That's work. So people tend not to go there to see. Events and of course you'll get you know an argument from from LinkedIn fans that are dedicated to that. But the truth of it is, your fun video from your event isn't getting posted to LinkedIn. It's going to go on Instagram. You know, so it's it's two schools of of thought, both of which are very effective when they're utilized for their target audience. I guess is the bottom line. I would think because it is business to business and it's largely populated by business people that mm-hmm. it would be a great place, and you mentioned this already, to go hunt for sponsors, you know, for people Absolutely. who would, you know, be of, of interest to you in that. And, of course, you have to do it right. You have to create the relationship, foster the relationship, instead of going, hey, by the way, you know, we want you to come, you know, be our, our sponsor. You need to yeah. actually have conversations with them, so let's just get that out of the way. But it's, um, I would think LinkedIn would have for that you know, for finding those particular people would be a great place to go. Yes, it has a much that much more professional um, air about it, so that would make tremendous amounts of sense. I have listed um, with organizations that have um, positions open within their organization where they're actually looking for personnel to fill um, a salaried position. Um, use LinkedIn a lot for that. In particular, and of course, you know, going on and said, you know, we're looking for sponsors for this event and such and such. We'd like to talk to you, things like that. Um, it's a very, very effective tool to use. But again, it is the professional side of things. Um, and then the other side, you know, Instagram and such, that's the party side. That's where all the pictures go. You know, that's where for the sponsor, that's where their target audience is going to come from. They want people to go out and buy their stuff. So that's where their their aim is, if you will. Exactly. Okay, we've only got about 10 minutes late, 10 minutes left to go. So now I want to hear some horror stories so people can go, oh, I'm not going to do that one. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, first thing I have to do is take out the names to protect the, <laughs> yes. protect the innocent. Um, <laughs> We're not going to talk about people or events. We're just going to oh, you know, Lord, be very there's, general. There's, yeah, there's just some that, that you just, oh, Lord, you just shake your head going, what were you thinking? Um, over the years, we've worked with different festivals, different you know organizations that do cool things. Um, 
we've also worked with a number of nonprofits that are dealing with people in recovery, people who have uh, addiction issues, you know, all different things, whether it's, you know, uh, alcohol or you know, opioids or all those different things. And this goes back to a particular event that uh, I was working with this nonprofit, and they had a board member who had a company that had sparkling water. And they were willing to donate cases and cases of sparkling water to this event. So the nonprofit went, oh, my gosh, this is fabulous. This is awesome. Now, this is a nonprofit that deals with people in recovery from all these different whatever it is that they're recovering from. So at their events, they don't serve alcohol, obviously. There's absolutely no reason for that. Well, this board member had this company that provided this sparkling water, but the bulk of their income came from spirit sales, alcohol sales. And the best best plans, the organization did the event. They had all the sparkling water, the big signs, the whole smash. This was great. Somebody called them out on social media and said, do you know who this guy is? Do you know what this company is? How could you possibly have an event that's sponsored in part by a company that sells something that you're trying to get people away from? And right there, it's like, you know, the, the board relationship, of course, he's off the board instantly because now he's kryptonite, you know, and he was trying to do a good thing, but it completely backfired and it just turned out to be awful. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so that was one of them that was, uh, and that happens a lot. You have organizations that don't connect what their sponsors are actually dealing with. You know, so we've had other events where people have not thought about what qualified as dumb stuff. Signage, for example. Three thousand people. I know what you're talking about. And and there's a VIP line and there's no signage to tell them how to get to the the VIP line. And there's three thousand people coming in the door. So you're standing there kind of watching this slow motion train wreck. It's like, Oh guys, what are you doing? You know, so that's another thing that should have been on the sheet saying we need signage for everything because, you know, people don't know where to go. They just don't. Signage and and maybe a docent or two, and I don't think that's the correct term, but ushers, docents, you know, people who can say, Yes. You look a little bit confused. Can I help you? That goes a long, long way in making, you know, crowd control happy. Yeah. And, you know, another one that we had. it was an event that was at a beautiful hotel that we did. They had a number of uh, young ladies who were behind the registration desk and, you know, cute, exactly what you would want if you were in customer service. They were absolutely darling, great personalities, exactly what you would want to have as your front of the house, you know, guest services person. The issue came when they were not made aware of who people actually were. There was no designated section for sponsored check-in or, you know, um, the high-end donor, different levels. There were no designations for those sections, so everybody checked in together. So the head of this company, she's an absolutely darling lady, she comes up, she's a sponsor, her name is not on the list. And the young lady behind the table oh, said, no. well, you know, you're not on the list, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to go check with somebody and, and make sure this is all okay. Well, this lady had donated a very amount, substantial amount of money, and she's standing on the other side of the registration table, cooling her heels while this young lady goes off to find out who needs to you know, take care of this. And when she comes back, of course, she's very apologetic for leaving her waiting. And she says, I've only been here about 10 minutes, and I just don't really have an idea of where everything is supposed to be going. Oh, oh no. Poof. Right there. <laughs> Oh you know, no! The perception is: Are you kidding? You don't know who I am, and I just gave you ten thousand right. dollars. Right. You know, so I mean, just little details that can sink your event. You know, and I I watched in as this person was recounting this story, and I just thought, oh my gosh! You know, so now the event hasn't even started yet, and the executive director of the nonprofit comes running over and it's like, oh my gosh, we're so <laughs> sorry. You know, come on in, and you know, by now. You're worried about that person all night long. Oh, yeah. And that's, and rightfully yeah, and, so. And it's just, I mean, and everybody has one of these stories. If you ever talk to an yeah. event planner and they tell you they've never had an experience that was bad, yeah, that's not right. 
because they all do. Each and every one of us have a nightmare event somewhere in the background that we, you just don't want to talk about it, you know. But uh, it's just stuff that happens that is just you shake your head, you know. So well, and um, some of them, you know, that one, that particular one, could have easily been avoided, but it wasn't. But by yeah. listening to this, we're hoping that. You know, people who will buy your book, I hope, and who are listening to this will go, you know what, I better go check my list because I've got an event going on right now, and I better, I need a checklist. Where do I find a checklist? By the way, do you have one, Jill? Is there one in the book? Do I have one? Actually, on the website, yeah. It's 120 things, and we narrowed it down from 200 (laughs) down to a workable 120. Uh, but all of that stuff is so important, and we just kind of put it into a list and said, you know, these are all the things that can go wrong, essentially. Um, so think about all of them. And, you know, that's on the, the Event Technique website, so you can find it there, Excellent. which is cool. And so. I've been on the website, but I didn't know that was there, so I'm glad I thought to ask about that. Okay, so we're running out of time. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to share with the audience before we say goodbye? Just a couple of things. Um, you know, we do have a, a weekly podcast, which you can get at theeventtechnique.com, and that is more geared towards the business side. There's a few funny things in there, um, some that are really serious, like, yikes, I have a toxic client, and, you know, things like that, um, which are interesting. We're on Alexa on the flash briefing at the Event Technique, and that's a one-minute quick tip uh, every day for something that is related to nonprofit and uh, executing events. So that's also really cool. And shortly up on the website, we'll also have a workshops and presentations program where I would come in and work with a board for maybe 45 or ni- between 45 and 90 minutes or 45 and 60 minutes on specific topics that the board is looking to educate their folks on, things like that. So that's a new section that will be added here in the next week or so, which is all pretty cool. But, yeah, all things good. All things good. So Excellent. we're excited. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can help nonprofits get where they want to go and, and succeed and fulfill their mission. So that's my goal. Well, and Jill, I have to say, I've been, you know, I read the book when it when it got here because it's a very quick, easy read. It's written mm-hmm. in language that we can all understand and go, ooh, okay. And it's laid out very, very well. But Thank one you. of the takeaways that I had was that this doesn't have to be solely for nonprofits. There's so much information here, and so much just really good sense and, and wisdom that this can be used for a lot of different areas. It doesn't just have to be nonprofit. It can Absolutely. be how you deal yeah. with your own particular business. Yeah, as a web developer and a you know digital agency, I deal with a lot of people. They're not you know, they're not volunteers by any stretch of the imagination. But I have to be able to herd them and, you know, figure out who's doing what and who just did that one wrong and there's a lot of tips in in who did what right. You know, that's yeah. I actually Good. prefer Thank to you. look for Thank what you. they did right instead of what they did wrong. <laughs> but you know, there's so much in here that can really be used on just about any business. So whoever's listening now or in the future on demand, don't make the mistake of thinking this is just for nonprofit. You can use the tips in here for just about anything you're doing. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. It's a terrific book. Well, listen, tell people where they can find you on the web. I know we've we've mentioned Event Planner, but tell people where they can find you before we say goodbye. We are at uh, theeventtechnique.com, and that's the website, of course. We're also on Instagram under uh, Jill Coomer slash theeventtechnique and on Facebook, The Event Technique, uh, as well. So we're uh, we're out there and we're building it and we're getting really excited about what's happening with it. We're getting really good feedback. It's positive and and uh, all things going forward. We hope that it just helps organizations really just be their best. You know, that's the goal. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was. You said it better than I did. Organizations of just about any description that doesn't necessarily have to be a nonprofit. So Jill, thank you. It has been a pleasure speaking with you again and uh, we're not going to go this long between now and the next time you're and I not thank kidding you for, I know is I looked and I went oh my god it's been that long shame on me and listen well, I thank you for too. all of the <laughs> yeah, you should nag I'm, I'm going to blame you <laughs> <laughs> so, listen thanks for all the wonderful tips and advice and the great stories that you've shared with our audience and before we say goodbye I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and anywhere else you consume your business podcast, just look for your partner in Success Radio, 
and take us along on your success journey. Jill, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been fun. It has. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.